St. Leo 360, a 360 degree overview of the St. Leo University community. Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. Leo 360 podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh. Here on this episode, we are recapping the second annual Influential Women of Social Work celebration. And this was a hybrid event held on Monday, March 6th, 2023 at our wellness center located at University Campus as well as online. The event was a collaboration between St. Leo University's undergraduate social work department as well as the National Association of Social Workers Florida Nature Coast chapter. The event was hosted by Dr. Ebony Perez, who is the chair of our undergraduate social work department, along with Professor Christina Kazanov. And I should mention that this event was held in honor of International Women's Month, as well as National Social Work Month. And this year's national theme for that particular month is Social Work Breaks Barriers. So we're now going to hear from our guest speaker, who was Dr. Jessica Garlock. And I should mention that Dr. Garlock is a longtime social worker with over 25 years of experience. She was a faculty member at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, served as Director of Field Education at Hawaii Pacific University, and currently works with UNICEF in the Federated States of Micronesia to empower community-based responses to child protection. So let's turn things over now to Dr. Jessica Garlock. Dr. Garlock. As Dr. Perez said, I am a social worker, but I am also lots of other things. I am a woman, a daughter, a sister, a friend, a writer, a novice watercolor painter, a traveler, and a photographer. I am an introvert, a godmother, an auntie, an ocean person, an avid reader, and someone who regularly tries and often fails to have a garden. Our identities in this profession are often so intertwined with our values, it can be really hard to separate them. Capitalism also really reinforces this. Uh, When I go to parts of the world that aren't as focused on the individual or on the material and capital part of our lives, the first question that is asked about you isn't what do you do? There are so many interesting things about all of us and who we are, and not just what we do in the process of earning a paycheck. Um, The invitation to speak with you all today has allowed me to do more reflection on my career than I have in a long time, thinking about what barriers exist, how they got there, how we can work individually and collectively to dismantle them. So thank you for that. It has brought up many lovely memories and some difficult ones, but all have been useful in thinking about barriers and how we overcome them. I'm going to start with where I am today and then go back to the beginning um, and hopefully some stories about barriers getting broken and some useful things will be said in the process. Um, In the fall of 2021, I quit my academic job two weeks before the semester started. Uh, This was not quiet quitting. 
just was very loud, unplanned, and not something that I would usually do. I didn't have another job lined up, no backup plan. It was scary. Um, and I want you, if you get anything out of my talk today, um, I want you to remember, and a lot of people will probably tell you different at different points in your lives, you are replaceable, at least in just as far as it comes with your employment. Organizations that you work for, most of them anyway, will hire somebody shortly after you leave and not look back. Your coworkers and your clients might miss you, but they will all move on. And so will you. Don't stay in any job where you're not appreciated and not treated well. They will find somebody else who puts up with their stuff and you will find something better. I found something better. Actually, they found me courtesy of a friend and colleague, and I took a contract running their COVID programs for another university on the island. I was looking at employment down the road here and there. I had some time before my contract ended, and I was trying to save as much money as I could because despite my challenges with leaving, I got really used to having my summers off. Um, in that process, a friend sent me a job announcement with UNICEF. I thought to myself, UNICEF, they're not even going to interview me. Two interviews and a mountain of paperwork later, I am here in the FSM working for UNICEF. Um, my job here is to help people set up systems and programs for child protection. The bad news and the good news is the same. There isn't anything happening here yet in that regard. There's no national policy. There's no state policies. We have the opportunity to learn from the mistakes that so many other places have made. And that's what we're attempting to do. I have been working with community members, professionals, and basically anybody that will talk to me since I got here. And I'm excited to say that we just started our first community consultations last week. We want to hear from them what their issues and concerns are, what kinds of services are needed. Um, and probably the biggest thing for me, should this be done by the government or done by the community or some sort of combination of both? Um, it's a really overwhelming and exciting process and one that I am really excited to be a part of. And I really hope that some sort of barriers get broken in the process because there are lots of them. So back to the beginning, my first experience with anything that resembles social work was because of the work that my mother did. She was not an official social worker. Um, she and my father both graduated high school, but never went on to college. Uh, despite that, my mother worked hard and studied hard and eventually became a licensed drug and alcohol counselor and eventually went on to be the director uh, for the AIDS organization in a rural county in Ohio where I grew up. AIDS at that time was really scary. It was stigmatized and the lack of compassion that the general public had for folks who were HIV positive or had AIDS was nothing short of shameful. Not many kids growing up in small town Ohio had a front row seat to the AIDS crisis, hitting the gay community and eventually everyone else. But I did. There were doctors and dentists who refused to see HIV positive patients and there were no ramifications. 
my mother spent years and years fighting systems and barriers with her clients. She watched so many people die, some of whom I was really lucky to meet, all of whom had some sort of influence on me and my understanding of the LGBTQIA community. In some ways, I was raised by that community, and I can't think of a better one to be raised by. Uh, this is where I watch my mother, her clients, and other allies and accomplices break all kinds of barriers and often rules to get people what they needed. Today, some people might call their methods radical or say that they didn't have proper professional boundaries, but you know what? They got things done. Uh, little did I know that the hatred and ignorance that I saw during the late 1980s would come back and possibly be worse, especially in regards to anti-trans and even anti-drag legislation. It's something that I still continue to really struggle with, um, as I'm sure many of you do too. We'll talk more about this. Um, when I went off to college, I went through several majors before I landed in social work. I started out as a biology major, then English, then education. I was involved with several groups on campus and was really enjoying volunteering in the community. Eventually, it made sense that this should be the thing that I do. Um, the summer after my freshman year, I returned home for the summer. It happened to be the year that Bill Clinton was rolling out the AmeriCorps program. The pilot program was called the Summer of Safety. I spent my summer working in a low-income community, informing residents about programs to help them take care of their homes, energy efficiency programs, things like that. Uh, many of the people that I talked to were elderly folks, um, and more than anything else that I was offering to them, they wanted somebody to talk to. I got a lot of listening practice in that summer. It also planted in me the seed of volunteering and giving back, one that has grown in me throughout my life and my career. I'm really grateful that I had professors who pushed me to look at macro issues more closely. I knew then in my young social work years that I didn't wanna be a therapist. The field of social work is really broad, but it still at that time seemed very focused on direct services more than anything else. I had some really progressive courses for the time, um, a class on race where we watched the OJ Simpson verdict delivered in real time, a class on gender where my final assignment was a policy analysis on, the, on Title IX at the university I was attending, I have to say, however, the person who really opened my eyes to the world outside of the United States was a Spanish professor. She took a group of us with her to El Salvador in the spring of 1994. The Civil War had recently ended, and we were there to be observers of that election that happened on April 24th. People were so excited to vote. They stood in line for hours and hours. The ballots were simple two flags representing the two parties. Voters would mark an X on the party they wished to vote for. There were no counting machines. We stayed up all night holding flashlights so that election staff and volunteers could continue counting. 
It was an experience that is still very vivid in my memory. That experience has continued to impact my life until this day. It caused me to question why things the way were the way they were in El Salvador and how the United States had been involved. It taught me a lot about myself. I did not grow up wealthy, but I had access to clean water, to electricity, and to education. It also taught me that there was so much of the world out there to see. Since that time, in the spring of 1994, um, I've been lucky to travel to 21 more countries. Soon after I finished my undergraduate degree, I went to Boston College to work on my MSW. BC at that time was one of the few places that had a concentration in macro social work. The specialization was, and I think still is called, community organizing, policy planning, and administration, COPA for short. We were a bit of an anomaly. The clinical people outnumbered us probably 25 or 30 to one. We were the weird social workers who wanted to talk about policy, urban planning, systems, and community organizing. One of my classmates had been a student of Saul Alinsky. If you don't know who that is, add that to your list of things to Google. My practicum during my MSW program was with a law firm. That in and of itself felt like a barrier being broken. And I was excited because it was something, the law was something that had always interested me. It was probably the nicest office I will ever work in. I had to dress more nicely than I ever have had to since um, and had to build a professional wardrobe that really hasn't been used since. Um, we had a budget, more money than I needed. I was offered free food every morning while working there. I was living on bagels and Diet Coke like a good graduate student. Um, how this all happened was that uh, one of the partners of the firm had hired a social worker um, because he said he needed and wanted a different perspective on how to provide support to the local community. They had a pro bono legal program, um, but they wanted more than that. The firm itself decided to focus on domestic violence. Uh, we ended up partnering with a different nonprofit every year. We would do fundraising for them, provide marketing assistance, any legal assistance they might need, um, and try to come up with solutions in partnership um, just to make their lives easier. Um, this was the early days of corporate social responsibility, and I was really excited to be watching it. Um, at the same time, I was really young, 22 years old as an advanced standing student in corporate boardrooms with the CEOs of companies you would know the names of. I was starstruck in some ways and just overwhelmed with being a young person with not a lot of experience in this arena at all. I distinctly remember my supervisor pulling me aside while having a hard day. She told me I would need to take initiative to get things done, even in situations that had all of the resources I could ask for that people who agreed with you still had to be pushed to do the right thing and make changes. It is a lesson I carry with me to this day. The other thing I took away from that practicum experience was that social workers belong everywhere. We don't get invited enough. 
but it falls on us in those times to push and break those barriers. While doing my graduate studies, I was fortunate to travel again, twice. Once to Cuba as part of a course on comparative social policy, and once to Costa Rica for an international social work conference. The Cuba trip was incredibly eye-opening. My grandfather had been stationed there as a young sailor with the Navy. My uncle had been born there. My grandmother had really lovely memories of the time that she had spent there, um, talking about the island, the Cuban people. Of course, American propaganda and discourse about Cuba was very negative for a very long time. It was impossible not to be influenced by that in some way. Being in Cuba gave me a first person view of how things were. I was able to see hospitals where medical research was happening, community gardens, access to education and healthcare. Most, if not all of the information that I had been fed from American media sources and education systems was grossly inaccurate. Is it a perfect system? No. Was it as awful as I was led it to believe? Not even close. On my other trip to Costa Rica was a classmate who had served there in the Peace Corps. I was able to meet her host family and visit some of the organizations she worked with while there. I had already sent in my application before the trip, but the trip solidified my desire to have that experience. Despite my study of Spanish during high school and college, the U.S. government in their infinite wisdom sent, decided to send me to Samoa for my Peace Corps service. This was 1999. The internet was around, but not like it is today. There was not a lot of information about this small country, essentially the size of Rhode Island on the World Wide Web, or even in the encyclopedias at my mother's house. Anybody that knew anything about Samoa seemed to be in the military or talked about wrestling. And this was long before anybody knew who The Rock was. The summer before I left for Peace Corps, I worked for an investment company in Boston. The company is called Trillium Asset Management. They do socially responsible investing. It was still a pretty new concept. Um, they took a chance on a young social worker for a summer program. And there I did research on different corporations in terms of how they treated their employees, if there were equity programs, if they were big polluters in their local areas and everything in between. I learned a lot that summer about how I probably didn't wanna work in a corporate environment, although this place was much more relaxed than the law firm. However, it was a good lesson for me that social work isn't this narrow space in which we can exist professionally. There are so many things that we can do with our skills, and I remain grateful for that experience today. Soon after that experience, I was off to the Peace Corps. I spent a little over three years there. While there, I worked with the first person to go public with their HIV status in a time that was rife with stigma. I worked with young people and Fafafine, which is essentially a third gender there. Uh, with that community to educate about safer sex choices. I became the a person that young people would go to to ask questions and even get condoms from. Young people did not want to go to the hospital where they might be seen by somebody they knew. 
I was someone who didn't immediately know who their parents were and I couldn't tell on them, though that's not something I would have done anyway. While in Samoa, there were times that I really doubted my social work education, along with a lot of things. I wasn't prepared the way I thought I should have been. The more I thought about this over time, I realized that my education had been very Eurocentric. There were some things, sure, that transferred to another culture, but there were a lot of things that didn't. Little did I know that I'd be spending my time in the Peace Corps and for much of my career since then, learning about the insidious nature of colonialism and capitalism. I am still learning to this day. Samoa was a gift. It taught me that work isn't everything, that it's important to take a nap when you need it, and that family and friends are paramount in our human need to have connection and love. I have been adopted into several Samoan families over time who took care of me then and still take care of me today. I have sisters and nephews who are very much a part of my life. Being part of and living in a collective or communal focused culture completely changed my worldview for the better. It took a while for this foreigner to understand that borrow meant indefinitely, that yes meant yes, and also maybe, and possibly even no. That there was no word for privacy that existed in the language or culture, which was really hard for my introvert brain to understand. I had to tell lies on occasion that I had a headache or that I wasn't feeling well so that I could get some time alone in my bedroom. One of the few rooms in the house that had a door could, that could close. That was a barrier that I actually wanted from time to time. The majority of my career has been spent in Hawaii. I initially chose Hawaii because one, I was offered a job there and two, there was a significant Samoan community there. In 2005, I got my first faculty appointment with the University of Hawaii. Prior to that, I briefly worked with the health department. Um, I was really fortunate to be taken under the wing of Charlie Warrington, who we affectionately referred to as Charlie Boy. Charlie had spent mo much of his life fighting for Hawaii and was known for his participation in Project Protect Kalo. Today that group works to restore life to Kaho'olawe. I was lucky to go there with a group group of social work students, and it was very powerful, powerful for all of us to learn more of the history, see the damage that exists and that is being repaired, and to be in a place focused on healing the land, ourselves, and each other. I remain grateful to Charlie for taking a young social worker, telling her stories, and teaching her about his love for Ina. I am lucky that this was a big foundation of learning about Hawaii. Let's now hear from a few celebrities and social workers who want to offer their congratulations to our award winners and scholarship recipients. Today, I would like to congratulate student scholarship recipients, future advocates, and social change agents. Also, congratulations to St. Leo University staff from the BSW uh, department hosting their second year of celebrating influential women of social work. I celebrate you all today as we work together building and supporting community. Congratulations, everyone. Hello, this is Curtis Richardson, and I want to send a huge congratulations to all the recipients of the Levin Chuck Wilson Scholarship at St. Leo University. 
Wow, what an achievement. Um, I commend you on all the hard work that you've done thus far and for the future barriers that you will break in social work. Continue success in all that you do. Listen, as a producer and a composer who's worked with the likes of Rihanna, Jennifer Lopez, David Guetta, and John Legend, I am extremely impressed on what you've done thus far. And I look forward to the change and how you're going to affect your communities in the future. In light of Women's History Month, we salute you all. Congratulations to everyone. Bless. Hello, my name is Taylor Reeves. I am a traveling speech language pathologist. I am currently working in a hospital in California and have the pleasure of working with many wonderful social workers who fight and improve the lives of our community. Hello, my name is Josh Danziger. I'm a writer, actor, producer, currently working on my next feature film, The Intervention. I just want to take this time to congratulate each of the recipients of this year's Levin Chuck Wilson Scholarship at St. Leo University School of Social Work. As someone who spends his day, each day, working to entertain others, I just want to say congratulations to all of you who are taking the next journey into helping serve others and to help them as well. So congratulations and good luck. Hello, it's Angelique Sinalu, and it is my privilege to honor you, the recipients of the second annual Levin Chuck Wilson Scholarship at St. Leo University School of Social Work. Congratulations. And thank you for choosing a career where you represent the underrepresented and where you service the people who need it the most. It's especially my honor to honor you during Women's History Month as well as Social Workers Month. In French, we say, salut. I salute you, congratulations, good continuation. Now go and enjoy yourselves because you have definitely earned it. Cheers. So there were several awards and scholarships presented to St. Leo University BSW alumni, current students, as well as community partners during this great celebration. From the NASW Nature Coast, the Social Work Trailblazer Award was presented to Brandy Grizzle. The Social Work Student of the Year Award was presented to Reese Hathaway. The Social Work Educator of the Year Award was presented to Professor Kalila Lewis-Kanes. The Public Citizen Honoree Award was presented to Angie Bonfardino Wallasek, who is the Executive Director and CEO of United Way of Hernando County, Florida. And last but certainly not least, the Rising to the Challenge Award was presented to One Community Now, which is a nonprofit based in Newport Ritchie, Florida. As far as the Levin Chuck Wilson Scholarship winners, Megan Martinez received $1,250. Karen Cummins received $750. Sylvia Cheney received $500. Reese Hathaway received $500. Evini DeRosier received $250. And last but certainly not least, Brittany Pedraza also received $250. So congratulations to all of the award and scholarship recipients. Finally, be sure to check the show notes for this episode 
uh, for a link to the Bachelor of Social Work degree program page to learn more about this very exciting BSW program here at St. Leo University. To hear more episodes of the St. Leo 360 podcast, visit stleo.edu forward slash podcast. To learn more about St. Leo's programs and services, call 877-622-2009 or visit stleo.edu.